Now, one of the pastor's main jobs, as you know, is to feed the flock. And uh, that's a ma main responsibility. It's a great, great duty. It's a great burden. It's a great, great, great privilege. And this, uh, this week, I was awakened in the night, over and over again one night, with a burden for what I believe I should talk about today. And I had a strong sense that, that the Lord was in it, actually guiding me to the scriptural truth that would be good for the flock to be fed with uh, today. And I have, a, I have a strong sense during these times that we've been preaching on the roof that the Lord has been with us in a really special way as a church. I feel like God has been kind to us to help us to move forward and not back. And I want to thank you and all of you that helped make the service here happen, but thank all of you who have so enthusiastically participated in such an unusual assembly. I really feel like we will tell the stories of this and what God is doing for the rest of our life, and, and much of it will be good, and we will be able to rehearse the faithfulness of God and the things that we learned and the things that God did with us. And so uh, uh, Jesus had the Sermon on the Mount, and he had the Olivet Discourse and other discourses, and as a follower of Jesus and one who loves Jesus and privileged to speak in Jesus' name, I get to preach the sermons from the roof. And uh, if it starts to rain today, don't worry about me. I have my raincoat on. My notes are wrapped in plastic. Nothing will stop me. If the, <laughs> if the lightning comes, I'll go down from the roof and preach from a safe place. But I, I'm very comfortable, very happy in my soul. I say that so that you can listen to this message without being concerned about my safety or comfort. That's not an issue. There are women in the church. There are men in the church that have really hard jobs to do. My job is really easy. It's delightful, and it's a joy, and I'm thrilled. And I want to kind of rehearse briefly this morning the sermons from the roof that the Lord has put on my heart. On March 22nd, we came out here on the roof for the first time. We called the sermon, Wreck the Roof. And we talked then about the men who took their ailing friend to Jesus, and they had to wreck the roof to get him there. But we were talking in that message to encourage us as we face illness and death that the issue is to get to Jesus, who has promised us eternal life. And so in that message, I tried to encourage and comfort any who would have heard online or who are present, that the real answer to the fear of sickness and the real answer to the fear of death is to be ready to die. We are people who follow the one who died and rose again. And when we die, we will rise again. And we were people, followers of Jesus, who said, if any man wants to follow me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. So we shouldn't be surprised that one day, unless the rapture happens first, that we will die. And we want to be prepared to die. And then the second week, we, we went inside, and I preached a message called Peepers and Other Spring Things about 
how to deal with the threat of poverty and loss. And the next week, we came back out here on the roof, and we've stayed out here preaching from the roof. April 5th, we preached three ways to deal with fear, how to deal with, how to respond to worry and anxiety. And we said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we said, fear should be like a red uh, warning light on the dashboard of your soul telling you to uh, depend on the power of the Holy Spirit, sincerely love, and to think right, to have a disciplined mind, how to overcome fear and how to overcome anxiety and how to overcome worry. And then it was April the 12th on Easter, and our message was follow the money, how to orient your life around what really matters. And then on April 19th, the spirit of your home, what to do when things get chippy at home. And in this message, I challenge us to walk in the spirit in our homes. And then on April the 26th, we preached a message called the greening of the year, how spring reminds us of the promise of a new heaven and a new earth and how we can set our hopes on the promises of God, which are yea and amen. And then on May 2nd, we preached a message called, Are We There Yet? And How Long, Lord? About how to deal with impatience. But I've had my ear to the ground as a pastor. And you may not be able to see from where you are in your car, but I have a warm, loving, brotherly smile on my face when I say this. Here's what I've noticed. One of the things that we're dealing with now is a feeling, for some of us, have a feeling about a concern about our, our rights or our liberties or our Christian liberties or our religious liberties or our personal liberties being threatened. And there's much of that in the culture today. And so there are those, and I'm sure they're represented by a number of you here today, and your main concern, your main worry, your main burden is about the possibility of death or illness or loss or poverty. And yet there are others here, and maybe you would say a main concern would be just the burden that you have about seeing the fear of having your liberties infringed upon or threatened. And I want to speak to that today um, to keep things simple. Let me address what we should do when we're concerned about our freedoms being threatened. Let me just be very direct with you, and then I'll show you this in the scripture very plainly. And, and, and you will be able to find some of the notes online if you wish to look at them later or as we, as we preach. But to keep things simple, let me address what should we do when we're concerned about our freedoms being threatened. And hear me now, here's what I believe, and I want to show you this from the scripture. When Christians feel like their freedoms may be threatened, when we fear that we may be under an oppressive circumstance, under a godless or an unsympathetic authority, we should stick with the mission that Jesus gave us. Stick with the mission, stay with the mission that Jesus gave us. Another way to say that would be this. Jesus, when he rose again and he met with his disciples and he gave the great commission, that commission just goes rolling down through the years, through the generations of Christians, and it has not changed and it will not change until he returns. And so the mission doesn't change in the middle of a pandemic. And the mission doesn't change if we have sympathetic authorities or unsympathetic authorities. And the mission doesn't change if we have godly authorities or ungodly authorities. The mission is the same. In other words, what we're supposed to be doing doesn't change. 
We may have to do it in a different way. We may have to do it creatively. We may have to make God, godly appeals, but we still have the same mission. And so we want to stay on that mission, and we want to make sure that we go, don't get distracted from that mission, and we don't want to lose heart, because if we do, what happens is our creativity will evaporate. You know, when it first became apparent that it would be wise and would be good not to meet in our building, the idea came to have an outdoor service, to have a drive-in service. And then the idea came to come up here and just preach on the roof. And that creative thing that the Lord put into our heart came out of um, a thinking about an experience that I'd had in the past. Uh, it, this was not my idea, but the, it came out of an idea that we had in the past, and that is when a crisis comes, when a difficulty comes, God's people, since they're still on mission, they should think creatively about what to do now. What are we going to wish we had done? And so when God gives this simple idea, and then all the team that made it happen, made it happen, and then you participated in it, can you not sense the favor and the blessing of the Lord and the encouragement that this has been? What happens is that when we stay on mission, when we say our mission is to follow Jesus and find other people and help them follow Jesus and teach our sons and daughters to follow Jesus and to show the lost that we're following Jesus and to be under unsympathetic or godless authorities following Jesus, then creativity comes in our heart and the blessing of the Lord comes upon that. And so the way that we should respond if we feel threatened by unsympathetic or even godless authorities or laws that may seem unfair is stay on the mission of following Jesus and helping others follow Jesus, but don't allow your creativity to be crushed because when you, when you suggest a creative alternative and you still obey the Lord, then the blessing of the Lord falls. Now, I want to show you this in the Bible in a number of places here in just a moment, but let me first remind you of a couple of examples in the Bible, a negative example and a positive example of what I'm telling you. Peter, you remember when Peter slept through prayer meeting? You remember that? Jesus had one of the world's most important prayer meetings in Gethsemane. Jesus was about to lay down his life and suffer. And he asked his disciples to do what? He didn't say to his disciples, I, got, I want you guys to get around me in a circle. And if any bad people come while I'm praying, I want you to kill them. That's not what he said. He didn't say to his disciples, I'm going to pray, and I want you guys to hurry down to the Sanhedrin and see if you can get the laws changed. Or I want you to hurry to the Roman authorities and see if you can change their mind. Maybe kind of Christianize them. Get them to understand what I'm doing. That's not what he said. What did Jesus say to Peter? He said, Peter, watch with me, which was his way of saying, I need you to pray right now. And what did Peter do? Peter slept through prayer meeting. He slept. And then, finally, when the soldiers came for Jesus, Peter woke up. And the first thing he did was, the Bible says, Peter went for his sword, and he actually did injury to one of the temple guards. And then Jesus had to do a healing and rebuke Peter. Peter later on, when he had met the risen Christ, and when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he powerfully preached the reality of the risen Christ. And he courageously called others to follow Jesus, and he eventually laid down his life as a martyr. 
But what we don't want to do during a time like this is sleep through prayer meeting and then wake up angry. We want to pray. We want to do good works. We want to witness. We want to encourage one another. We want to give gifts. And when I hear of all the examples of you giving gifts to one another and helping one another, my heart is thrilled. When unbelievers see that believers love each other and help one another, and they help others who are unbelievers as well, that commends Christ to them. But when they see that we're angry or militant, then that's getting off the mission and crushing our creativity. Let me give you, that was a negative example. Let me give you a positive example from the Bible. And let me just stop right now and say, thank you, Lord, for the sunshine. Uh, but but, but a positive example from the Bible would be this young man, Daniel, who's taken off into Babylonian captivity, taken off captive to people who are godless, unsympathetic, unkind, literally captured and taken captive. And Daniel, on a couple of occasions, was asked to do things that would violate the law of God. And what's interesting is that Daniel didn't immediately become belligerent. Daniel, it wouldn't have helped. Daniel didn't immediately become militant. Daniel didn't immediately become angry. Daniel believed that he was willing to suffer, but he, he came up with a creative appeal to his authorities, and in, on a couple of occasions, he was delivered as a result of that. He was willing to die. And, 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 and yet what you see in the life of Daniel was this staying on the mission of following God and honoring God with his life, and being creative in that. As a church, and you as a family, and as an individual, I just would appeal to you and encourage you. And that is, if you stay on mission, if you just keep your mind, no, no matter what happens around us, it changes. And political powers rise and fall, and they bicker at each other, and people try to figure out, you know, what's legal, what's not legal. While that's all happening, let's not get distracted, but let's stay on the mission of loving people, of doing good works, of giving the gospel to people, of praying for people, of being followers of Jesus Christ. Our mission is not political. It's bigger than that. It's longer lasting than that. Our mission is the kingdom of God and the good news of the risen Christ, seeing lives transformed one at a time. Our mission isn't political. It's the kingdom of God. Our battle is not against human conspiracies. I, I wish I could see a raise of hands. It's interesting. Human conspiracy theories are very interesting. Some of us are given to human conspiracy theories. And there's a reason for that. Because sometimes they're true. But our enemy is not human. Our enemy, is, what we're, we're involved in is not to resist human conspiracies. The, the Bible makes this very plain. We are in a spiritual warfare. It's greater than a human conspiracy. It's a spiritual warfare. So our mission is not political reform or political pressure or Christianizing the government. It's the kingdom of God and changing one heart at a time. And our enemy, our enemy is not human conspiracies. Our enemy is in the heavenlies. Now, here's what's interesting. We are not, as a church and as God's people, equipped to make a huge political difference. But we are equipped 
to advance the kingdom of God through the gospel. We're not, as God's people, we are not really equipped to ferret out and to somehow frustrate human conspiracies. These are too hard, too difficult, too confusing. But as God's people, because we have the Holy Spirit and because we have the gospel, we are equipped to do spiritual warfare. So let's stay on the gospel and the spiritual warfare, winning our friends and neighbors to Christ, giving them the gospel, making sure they know the truth, loving and our wives and husbands and training our children to follow the Lord, doing creatively whatever we can to stay on the mission. We're really, this is what, now, in Psalm 133, there's uh, a Psalm 133 is one of the, um, it's one of the Psalms of Ascent. It was used by God's people in, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a songbook for the road, if you will. When God's people were commanded three times a year to go up to Jerusalem, kind of like a retreat, and they would live in tents around the city, and the fathers and the sons would go up and they would go up the steps of the temple, ascending the steps of the temple. And the steps there are uneven. They lend themselves to, to stopping and contemplating. And there were psalms that were written for this. And the fathers and the sons would go up. And you can imagine the ladies also traveling with them there in the tents would have had a, a wonderful time of fellowship with one another. And a time of refreshment with one another. And yet, and think of how encouraging it would be for the women to know that God says to their husbands, I want you to seek me, men. I want you to follow. I want you to take your sons. I want you to show them what it's like to love God. Then I want you to go back and I want you to bless your wife and your other children. This is the way it would be three times a year. And there are songs for this. And one of those songs went like this. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the, the beard, uh, head, Aaron's head, that ran down upon his beard, that ran down to the collar of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon that descended on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commands the blessing of life forevermore. In this beautiful little song, fathers and sons would sing as other men would gather them. They would go up to Jerusalem. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when men are one in their mind, when they dwell together in unity, when men and women gather together and agree to follow the one true God. How good that is. How pleasant that is. It's, there are two pictures that are given in Psalm 133 about, the, about how good and pleasant, how fruitful and productive it is when we join together to seek the one thing he says to seek, and we don't get off mission, but together we stay on mission. He said two pictures. One picture was like a sacred anointing ceremony, like when Aaron was, was anointed, and they had this beautiful, fragrant anointing oil. There's a, there's a recipe for it given in the Bible. It was only to be used for the, sacred anoint, for the anointing, and a sacred purpose. And then they would pour that out, Later on, we would see an anointing as a symbol of God giving us his Holy Spirit to empower us. And, and a sacred anointing would be a time when there would be this fragrant, this beautiful, compelling fragrance as it was just poured out that everyone could smell this beautiful fragrance. And David would have had that experience. 
And he said, when brothers and sisters, it's true, when we get together, when we dwell in unity, when we find the one thing that we're supposed to do, and we follow that, follow Jesus, help others follow Jesus, there's a beauty about that. There's a fragrance about that. It's just right. And the second picture that's given is, he says, it's like the dew of Hermon that descended on the mountains of Zion. Hermon was a mountain range in the north, in Lebanon, and a very, very verdant area with thick dew. And the mountains of Zion would be the elevation where Jerusalem was. And David, in a beautiful turn of poetry, he says, when men get together and they seek God, when we seek God, when men and women get together and when they focus their heart on seeking God, it's like the dew of Hermon up in Lebanon coming down and raining on Jerusalem and causing fruitfulness. That's the uh, picture that's there. Those two pictures were given to us, and we cherish them today because they're still true. In your own family, as much as it's possible for you to do this, encourage everyone to make Jesus Christ the number one priority, to follow Jesus and to help others follow Jesus. When a home, when a husband and a wife are united around that, when children are united around loving Jesus, following Jesus, and helping others follow Jesus, there will be a fragrance on that home. There will be a fruitfulness in that home. And there will be a beauty in, uh, uh, on that home. The Bible says in Psalm 133 at the end, the last phrase is, for there the Lord commands the blessing, even life forevermore. When we unite to follow the Lord, seeking Him, He says He sends His blessing on that, the blessing of life, where He's promised life eternal and promised life abundant. For most of us in our marriages, we probably married someone that we are, we are different from them. They have qualities we don't have. They have weaknesses where we have strengths. They have strengths where we have weaknesses. They have things they like that we don't like. And if you've been married for a while, unless you're in a very, very unusual marriage, you find there are a number of these things. And they can cause friction. And they can cause heartache. And they can cause sadness. And they can cause division. But I want to tell you a great secret from the Bible. And that's this. When you may disagree about the team you root for, and you may disagree about your favorite food, you may disagree about a hundred things, and it does not matter. When you agree about the thing, you agree about the biggest thing, you'll have unity. And that's true. So look out over this uh, bunch of cars, a parking lot full of cars. They're unique, individual people with different giftings, and they're people that are given to different kinds of thinking about different kinds of things. There's a beauty in that, like the the beauty of the variety of the color of flowers, of the variety of the songs of birds. And yet there is the one thing that holds us together, that every beating heart is following Jesus Christ with heart, soul, and might, and helping others follow Jesus. And as long as we do that, and as long as we keep that the main mission, then the other things really won't matter because God will command the blessing of everlasting life there. Think about it, right here and among the people of Bethel. Because of the ministry of this church, other Bible-believing churches, there will be people who move from death to life. There will be people who have 
brokenness and sadness and hurt, and God will heal them. There are people who are, have doubt and confusion, and their faith has been assaulted. And if God's people get together and make Christ known, their faith will be built up, and they'll become strong in the faith, and they'll tell others how to be strong in the faith. This is what happens when God commands the blessing of everlasting life, and the blessing of everlasting life falls on a church or on a family. And he says he'll do this if we'll agree that Jesus is the one thing that we all agree on, and we don't get distracted by anything else. You can see this yourself in the, in the, in the scriptures. I asked a Christian leader one time, I said to him, where, what book would you read that you think is probably the most profound book about how a church could be strong and dynamic? And he, he smiled and he had a little twinkle in his eye. And he said, well, Ken, I would read the New Testament. And I said, okay, that's true. Now, when I begin to read the New Testament, I'm going to read some of the New Testament to you right now. And I want you to notice what it's going to say is this. When God's people get together and they say the same thing, Jesus is Lord, and when they are one accord in their heart that Jesus is Lord, then God gives that group great spiritual power. Listen, Acts 1.14, these all continued with one accord. Acts 2.1, as the church is blowing up, exploding with vitality. Acts 2.1, day of Pentecost had come, and they were all with one accord in one place. Acts 2.46, continuing daily in one accord in the temple. They served the Lord with gladness and simplicity of heart. Acts 4.24, when they heard it, they, they raised their voice to God in one accord. In Acts 4.32, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul, and they shared things with one another. Acts 5.12, uh, through the hands of the apostles were signs and wonders done among the people. And they were all with one accord. When God's people joined together in oneness to follow Jesus to, and to help others follow Jesus, he sends his Holy Spirit power on that group of people and does the miraculous things that people need. People are converted. Marriages are healed. People begin to believe who never believed before. But only when God's people are in one accord and they say the same thing. And now Acts chapter 8 and verse 6, with the multitudes with one accord, they heeded the things by Philip. Paul, uh, he implored Euodia and Syntyche. He said in Philippians, be of the same mind in the Lord. In Acts 15, there was a bit of a division. But they got together until they could come to a oneness of mind. And it says, being assembled in one accord, in Acts chapter, uh, in Romans 15, 6, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God and Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, 1, in verse 27, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or if I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand in one spirit, in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In, in John 17, in Jesus' prayer listen to the prayer of jesus this is very important and very powerful and very very applicable to our moment when we feel it would be easy to be divided right jesus says and the glory which you gave me i've given them that they may be one even as we are one jesus is praying to god the father and he's saying Look at my disciples and the ones that will believe because of them, which includes you if you're believing. 
He says, my prayer is that they will be one like you and I are one. You may be there right now, and you may feel a sense of distance between you and another Christian. Maybe even somebody in your car. Maybe even somebody with your same last name. Maybe somebody who hurt you. Can I just say, you are a follower of Jesus, and Jesus' prayer is that you will have a oneness with them like Jesus has with God the Father. And so if we're united on mission at Bethel, we'll continue to be a church where people are saved. We'll continue to be a church where people are changed. We'll continue to be a church where people are healed, where people are being continually added to the church, where people are being baptized as followers of Jesus, where families are being helped and healed and reunited, where single people have friendship and fellowship, where marriages and families are growing, where young people are following the Lord, and older people also have joy and hope, where people get their questions answered. I go off every once in a while to a Christian camp. I know you do the same to a Christian camps. And the one that I frequently go to, I often drive away, and I think, oh my goodness, did I ever meet God there? Did I ever sense the sweet presence of God there? And then as I drive away, I think like, every church should be just like that. A place where people can come, and they can sense the power, and they can sense the presence of God. And that will happen here, as long as we stay united in the Lord, following the Lord with all of our hearts. There are people who really need help around us. And in every single car today is a person who at some time really needs help. I heard a story once of Pastor Fred Craddock. Pastor Fred Craddock, when he was living, was a little overweight, very short, about five foot four or five. Um, L, he was older, and he went to preach at the Ebenezer, the famous Ebenezer Baptist Church, where Martin Luther King at one time preached. And so here he is at this uh, huge church, the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, this uh, primarily African-American uh, church. And he's a little old, heavyset, soft-spoken white guy. And so he gets up on the platform, and there's a big choir behind him, all robed choir, and this big congregation of thousands of people, and they've been singing. And when it, it comes time for him to preach, he gets up, and when he stands up, he usually takes a little stool with him to put it up by the pulpit to get up on it because he's so small that it's hard for him to see over the average pulpit. Craddock said on the day that he was to preach at the Ebenezer Baptist Church, and all the singing was done, and the offering had been taken, and all that had been done, it was time for him to read the text, and he was going to preach from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 8. So he took his New Testament, and he stood up, and he got up on it, got up to the pulpit there. And about time he got to the pulpit, one of the associate pastors interrupted and began to sing a cappella, began to sing a song. And after a while, others joined with him. And after the others joined with him for a while, then the instruments joined in, and now there was this great body of people singing and instruments playing. And so... Pastor Craddock, not knowing what to do and not expecting that, he just started clapping his hands and singing. And when he did that, the whole place erupted, and everyone stood up and started clapping and swaying and singing. The whole place was roaring with joy and singing. And then, then finally they all sat down, and he said, my goodness, the power I felt, the, the eagerness to preach at that point in my life was so powerful. After the service was over, he went to the pastor and he said, what was that? 
He said, I felt such power to preach. I had no idea that you were going to do that thing with the song. What made you do that? And the pastor said, oh, no, we never planned to do that. But when you got up there and got ready to preach, my associate leaned over to me and he said, this boy is going to need some help today. This boy is going to need some help. And so we decided that we would give you some help. Now, all God's children some days need some help. And when they need that help, they need to be able to find a place like this where God's people are following Jesus with one heart and one mind and one accord. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. It's like the dew of Hermon that descended on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing of life forevermore. I want to leave you today with a benediction. I want to leave you with a blessing today. And, I'm, and, and when I'm done, I'd like you to be patient as you exit. We have a gift for every lady here. So please leave very carefully and patient. If you have a gift you'd like to give, that's fine. Let me pray a benediction on you. May the Lord command the blessing of life, eternal and abundant, on every heart here. May the Lord command the blessing of life, eternal and abundant, on every family here and on every marriage. May the Lord command the blessing of life, eternal and abundant, on the Bethel Church, through Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day.